Welcome to the Mindful Sobriety Podcast with your hosts, Jane and Amanda. I'm Jane, a licensed psychotherapist and alcohol-free retreat host. And I'm Amanda, alcohol-free lifestyle coach and yoga instructor. We're so glad you're here. Right, guys. Well, today we are interviewing Laura Martinez. Laura is a therapist, spiritual healer, author, speaker, and a meditation guide, which is actually how I met Laura. Um, I went to have gone to some of her meditations, and they're wonderful. And I actually get to go to one tonight. So super excited about that. Um, do you mind just giving us a little history about you, Laura? Yeah, yeah. And so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so stoked about your podcast and the message that you guys have sent out. I've I've listened to some of your podcasts and it just is so great. So I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah. Thank you. I'm yeah. so happy you're here. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, I'm in Fort Worth and I um, have my private practice and uh, I love meeting clients individually, but I also love and adore my meditation group that I run on Fridays. And I also host retreats and workshops. So that's kind of a little bit of the work I do. Yes. That's awesome. I love following you on Instagram and like, I just... I'm so drawn to what you have going on and like, it's not like, I, I feel like I don't know a lot about what you have going on, but it, it's definitely very appealing to me. So I know in a way, some of your greatest teachings came from your grandmother and I read like about rituals, cleanings and energy work. So I just wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, it's pretty cool because the very first time I did shamanic work, I was about 19 years old and I was in Costa Rica and just coincidentally, I went to a couple that did shamanic work and I didn't, I think it was, I thought it was just going to be a fun adventure. I didn't really take too much uh, seriousness to it. And the result of that was incredible and just shifted my whole life. And I kept going back to, for more training and I kept getting trained by this couple um, who did not charge me, by the way. Um, they just wanted to share their gifts. So I was just bringing them groceries and just providing them as much as I could because I felt like there had to be some energy exchange there. So I fast forward, I started working at a treatment facility in South Texas, and I started bringing these shamanic practices into the work that I was doing with the clients. And the result of doing that work was just i was in awe at how much transformation was happening with the shamanic work and this was a substance abuse treatment center so along with that work and then they all had their therapist and then the work that i was really doing was the neuroscience work with them so with when all of those different modalities converged they were just expressing themselves in a whole different way so i started taking notice that the shamanic work was really the most impactful thing that they were doing with me and in, in my work. And they would put it on their exit interviews too. So then people that were working there were asking me, what are you doing with the clients? What, what is the shamanic work they're talking about? <laughs> and so to me, that was very special. And so, you know, fast forward a couple years into treatment, into working in treatment, 
my grandma, I was over at my grandma's house who lives next to the treatment center, not right next door, but across the bridge from the treatment center. And she asked me, like, what do you do at your work? And, you know, sometimes I placate people and just kind of give them the common answer. Jane, you probably know this as a therapist. You're like, well, I'm just, mm-hmm. the, I'm just a therapist, you know, yeah. I, I, just, I, I work with people it. on depression and anxiety, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Amanda, you probably say I'm, I'm a recovery coach, but you're not really getting into the meat of what you do. But for some reason, something inspired me to tell her the full loaded answer in the shamanism and the ceremonies and rituals. And she got teary eyed. And she said, my mom, your great grandma used to do these practices, exactly what you're doing. And I just had full on goosebumps. And I just got goosebumps when you told me that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I had never known this. And she, my grandma told me when I was a little girl, I remember people would knock on our door in the middle of the night and my mom would bundle me up and take me out and we would do practices in the caves and um, we would have to do it hush hush because she would be persecuted for doing this type of work. Yeah. And my grandma was, I'm going to get, I always get emotional. I've said this story so many times, but my grandma said, wow, it must be, you know, it must be in your blood. It's it's in your blood. And um, it makes me emotional because I don't have to, hide about the work that I do. Like I can be on podcasts talking about this out loud and my ancestors did not get that privilege. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about what is the cultural background where kind of your grandmother or your great grandmother was practicing and how shamanism is tied to that particular culture? Yeah. So my culture is I'm Mexican American and she was practicing this actually in a little town called Mexiquito. And so little Mexico, little Mexico, uh huh, little Mexico. And, um, she was known for being a, and you know, in Spanish, we call it a curandera. Um, yes. and, uh, basically what that is, is it's a, it's a witch doctor <laughs> and she had her herbs and she had her different rituals. And even when I was a kid, you know, being Mexican American, if I got sick, my mom would do the egg. And I don't know if y'all know that practice, but you basically get a egg and you pray over the person who's sick and you're rubbing the egg. And, you know, some people do the signs of the cross on you. And then you break that egg open in a cup and it's supposed to hold all the energy of your illness in the egg. And also kind of absorbs the the toxins or the whatever is causing the illness. Exactly. Exactly. And any bad energy that anybody has placed on you. So, um, you know, if somebody sees my hair and they're like, Oh my gosh, I love her hair. I want her hair. Um, that's, uh, in Mexico, that's called ojo, you know, giving somebody ojo, giving somebody the eye, like I want her hair. And so the energy of that jealousy gets stuck on you. So the egg is supposed to remove that energy from you. Yeah. I know so many different practices. So I grew up with some of these practices, but I never knew the extent of my bloodline and it being so close into doing these healing ceremonies and rituals. Wow. So if you had to describe like shamanism and like what the true definition, like I, I looked it up online last night, but I'm curious, like what, if you, for someone that's never heard of shamanism, what, what would you tell them? 
or how would you explain it? That's a great question. And I love this question because there's a lot of misinterpretation of what shamanism is. Uh, Shamanism is not a religion. It's not even a spirituality. It's more of a modality of thinking or practice. And what that modality is, is it's the belief that a human being can can heal themselves. And we can do that with everything that was given to us on our body, our breath, the way that we hold ourselves, the energy of our aura. Um, It's also using nature and animals and spirit guides and things that we believe in, like our ancestors to heal us. So it gives us the power back of knowing that we have the intuition and we have the ability to heal ourselves. So when I work with a client, I see us as equals. I'm, um, some therapists, the power dynamic, they believe they're above the client and need to, the client needs to listen to them or, you know, and me, I'm helping the client connect to themselves because they are their best healer. Yes, I'm well-educated and I know these different modalities that can help them, but ultimately that person is the wisest in the session. They know what's best for them if they connect to their divine self. It sounds very similar to social work values. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and some of our core values are self-determination and the client is the expert. And Mm -hmm. so it sounds like you're kind of coming alongside clients and helping them uncover what they already have within them to heal themselves. Right. Yeah. I want to work myself out of a job. I don't want a client to be warehoused and to be dependent on me uh, for, you know, four or five years. I don't want that at all. Um, I want them to be able to be so empowered that they know that they can do this with the resources around them. And if they need to come back and do some therapy, that's great too. But therapy should never be about dependency. It should be about empowerment. Mm -hmm. Right. Kind of helping people learn the tools to heal themselves and continue to address struggles, new struggles that come up in life, you know, and if they've worked with you, then they have those tools. Hey, puppy. Right. <laughs> That's my puppy. He's right here. He's a little chihuahua, so he becomes a guard dog. Sorry so about cute. That. No, it's okay. Molly, no. my uh, cavapoo may come in in a minute, so... I'm curious, and this may be totally out of your wheelhouse, and just tell me if it is, but I, I've always been really curious about plant medicine. Do you work with um, psychoactive plants, or is there anything that you can speak to on that? Absolutely. So um, I just recently had a cacao ceremony with a group of clients, and so that is a plant medicine, and that is actually a heart opener. Um, we are going to have me, Dr. Ramina, and Merciful Healing are going to throw together, and we're going to do a kava, a kava retreat, and a kana retreat, and kana is also a root. So these are all plant medicines that help awaken us in different ways. Right now, as far as psychedelics go, they are in the process of leg- legislation of getting legalized. So um, I am very interested in becoming psychedelic assisted trained in therapy. And actually, it's so funny that you asked that because yesterday I had lunch with one of my girlfriends. Her name is Faith and she does incredible work. And she actually is an, a psychedelic assisted therapist. And we were talking about the different avenues for that. So I am getting, hopefully soon we'll be getting trained in that. 
That'll be so you, cool. Yeah. I'm excited. Do you, um, I guess the only legal psychedelic-like modality we have here in Texas right now is ketamine. Do you do anything with ketamine? Or are you? What are your thoughts about that? You know, I don't personally administer ketamine because um, I'm not licensed for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are actually doctors that I have met here in Fort Worth. Um, there's a group of us that meet and um, are psychedelic curious about the healing community, but want to do it in a very ethical way and right. definitely want to hold it as a sacred platform to use. And so I know that is happening here in Fort Worth. Um, I do have some clients that are undergoing ketamine treatment. And uh, just to be completely honest, what I've seen in my, in my experience with clients is it's either extremely helpful and they love it or they didn't like it at all. So, I've seen that with my clients as well. Some who have responded really well and gotten relief from depression and some other symptoms. And then some that are kind of like, eh, didn't really do much. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. That's, that's, I'm, I've never talked to anybody else about it. So that's very curious that we're seeing the same yes. thing, but uh, yeah. So maybe, you know, for me knowing psychedelics, maybe something a little bit more gentle in the middle might be helpful, mm-hmm. you know? So hopefully I know that um, MDMA is going to be something that hopefully will be legalized here soon um, to use with a, yeah. a doctor, right. And yes, uh, somebody I think for PTSD, the studies are looking really promising. Yeah, it is. It is very promising. Isn't MDMA the drug that was used by teenagers like ecstasy? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is. It is. It's so funny because um, I was looking at some of the, the research on it and there's different research done on people that have done it in a more of a uh, experimental platform, you know, and, you know, party platform versus a therapeutic platform. And this always goes back to intentionality of using substances, right? Like our intentions really do set the stage for how you are going to respond to a substance. So Mm -hmm. if your intention is to go, you know, have your serotonin completely blasted in your brain so you can have this altered experience in a party setting versus I'm going to set my intention to heal and feel these different parts of myself that I've never been exposed to, you're probably going to get a different outcome. Right. I feel like there's a huge difference, especially for people who are alcohol free or sober or in recovery. You know, it's a little bit controversial to use a psychedelic modality for healing, but I think it's so important to look at the difference between using it for recreational purposes and using it for healing, you know, medical, psychiatric, spiritual purposes in a controlled setting with a professional guiding you through that experience. Absolutely. And everybody is different. I want to say that too. I would never sit here and say everybody should do this because I, yeah, because I don't believe that. And also the dosing is going to be completely different. So, you know, when you're using it as a party experience, the dose is probably going to be much higher than if you're, you know, doing like a microdose of any of these substances. So Absolutely. I agree with you. You know, we have to be careful with certain substances. And if people are already on a psychoactive drug, you know, Mm -hmm. or on an antipsychotic, they probably want to stay away from these certain modalities of healing. Right. 
And I think there are also certain diagnoses that are contraindicated for that type of treatment, like bipolar disorder and uh, disorders with psychosis. Yeah, yeah, that the psychosis and the negative symptoms with the psychosis actually doesn't do well with the psychedelics is what we've seen in research. Interesting. And just to clarify for our listeners, the negative symptoms are kind of more the symptoms of withdrawal and like catatonia. And can you explain that a little bit? Also hallucinations, whether it be auditory or visual, um, all of the things that create that schizophrenia um, within the person. Um, so yeah, obviously with psychedelics, there is the ability to <laughs> have hallucinations in some way. Um, and those are really big doses. Of course, we're not talking about the research dose of the, the microdosing, but still we probably don't want to go down those brain avenues if they're already, the negative symptoms are already present. So going in a little bit of a different direction, um, I know that you've fused together neuroscience techniques, therapy, and shamanism really beautifully. Uh-huh. So I was just curious if you could tell us a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah, so I so I merged the three of those and basically what it looks like is when a client comes to me, we're working on the mind, body and spirit of each uh in in the person. And so whenever we are going down the neuroscience route, we're looking at cognitions, neural pathways that they've already that have already been established trauma of course and whenever we do the shamanic route we really are going into the subconscious or the psyche and so i believe that a lot of our wounds are located in the subconscious mind and so whenever we do talk therapy you're more working on the conscious mind than the subconscious mind talk therapy, there's a time and place for that. Of course, processing through a situation is really good. But what I feel is more impactful is going into that psychedelic, I mean, I'm sorry, the subconscious realm and going into that state where you can heal those wounds. And so usually with the neuroscience piece, what we're working on are finding belief systems, finding patterns that they do, and being able to break those up and then going into the psyche or the subconscious mind to actually visit those places. So I can give you an example because I know that all sounds very general. <laughs> so, sounds fascinating. Uh, I, <laughs> okay, cool. I'm glad because sometimes yeah. I say things like, especially on my podcast, and I'm like, are people following what I'm saying? And so I like <laughs> to give like, am well, I just speaking I love- in generalized terms? Yeah. I like the fact that it sounds like it's possible to access the subconscious without a substance. And I think a lot of times people use substances because they want to kind of turn off their conscious, like doing self brain and get into that altered state. And if there's another way to access an altered state that doesn't have the negative consequences of alcohol or other substances, which probably isn't actually accurately accessing the subconscious anyway, I think that could be really appealing for people who are on the path of sobriety or, you know, working on other types of healing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Especially when I was working in treatment, the clients, you know, are, are used to using substances to numb out or to go into these altered states of reality, really. And whenever we would do the shamanic work with the drum, and that theta brainwave is getting set off, they realize 
oh my gosh, I just had a psychedelic experience without using any sort of substance. And they were so excited about it. That's awesome. Amazing. And I love that you're dealing with the subconscious because like for me in my life, there's been so many different things that have happened that when I really started my recovery journey, I felt like something was wrong with me at my core. And and really, I think it was just a whole lot of um, negative subconscious beliefs. And so I think especially for someone that is considering an alcohol-free lifestyle or a substance-free lifestyle, like this could be so powerful. Oh, absolutely. Because I feel like we need that ability to go into altered states of reality to do our healing sometimes. Because sometimes people are disconnected from the healing that they need to do because for so long we've had to compartmentalize that trauma and put it away from us so we could just exist and live our life, right? And the problem with doing that, with compartmentalizing, and I know that it's a good tool in the moment because we have to live our life. We can't be debilitated by trauma. But the problem with doing that is when I compartmentalize my trauma for so long and I put it on the shelf, it no longer belongs to me anymore. At least that's the belief I have is like, oh, that little girl who went through that trauma, I don't even associate with her. Like, I don't even know who that is. And so, wow. So I can so relate with that a million percent. Like I've never heard someone say it like that, but that's spot on for sure. Well, I'm curious to hear what your example is. Oh yeah. Thanks for bringing me back to that. So basically the example would be, um, I had a client that I was working with and she was so defended against everything. Like she was just so rigid. And the thing is she didn't know it. I mean, she would even, she would come into my office at the time and she would sit down and say, hello, how are you? And just be so defended and not warm and gushy, you know? And so we started working on that and it started to become a barrier in her marriage with her husband because she was just building these walls around her and she didn't know it. But what she did know was her cognition was, um, I cannot trust people and I am not safe. And so she was able to identify these two cognitions that were creating barriers. So after we identified these belief systems and we did all the work, we knew where they came from. They came from mom and dad. They came from her childhood and never being heard and never feeling safe. And we did all that processing and all that work. So I asked her at one of our one of our sessions, and this wasn't like our first or second session, it's probably like session six, you know, once we've built this trusting rapport. I said, do you want to go inward and work on those walls? And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, do you want to go into an altered state of reality and see the walls and bring the walls down? And she said, I'm so ready to do that, Laura. I don't want to do this. I don't, I'm ruining my marriage. I don't want to do this anymore. So we went into an altered state with my drum and, you know, there's a whole process, the meditation and getting her into alpha and then in the brain and then getting her into theta with the drum. So once we were there, I had her go into a, a safe place and I saw her, I had her see the walls around her and she was describing, she said, I have these brick walls. I have three layers of brick walls around me. And I said, how do you feel? She said, I feel very small. Like it looks like I'm just a tiny person inside the walls. I said, can you see the top of the wall? She said, I can't see the top of the wall. 
she said, but there's no brick or mortar or anything. They're just solid walls and they're all around me. And I said, do you feel like you can break them down? And she said, yeah, I really do. And she said, I don't even need to like have an instrument. I just feel like my body can go through these walls. So she started to go through the walls and she said, there's bricks falling around me, but I'm safe. I'm like in this orb or this bubble where I'm safe. But like, it's almost like um, uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, <laughs> going through the walls. And so she saw herself do that. And after she broke through, she started crying. And I said, what do you feel? And she said, oh, my God, I feel relief. And I feel like my body is able to relax for the first time. And she visualized herself doing an angel in the field, like a like a snow angel, but like in like a, a field of daffodils. And she said, oh, my gosh. And then during the visualization, she said, there's people coming. And I said, OK, who are these people? You know, get up and see. And she said, there's my husband and my my mom who's passed. And I said, how do you feel about them seeing you do this? She says, I feel I feel some pain. And I said, okay, how do you want to address this right now? And she says, I don't want to get up and tell them to fuck off. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to. No, you're good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, and I said, okay, do it. So she did it. And then she, she started just laughing uncontrollably. And um, she, she got out of the trance, just to kind of fast forward. She got out of the trance and she looked differently. I mean, her face was like soft. She looked soft. Her her shoulders were softened. And she laughed. She says, I'm going to have to say sorry to my husband later for telling him. <laughs> and I, I said, do you think you'll be able to share this with him? And she said, I absolutely think I can. And I think he'll completely get it. So um, we continued to see each other and those walls were gone. I mean, she completely... And if they did start to come up, she would identify, oh, there's the walls. I need to drop them down, right? But sometimes the wall can be there to protect us too. But more than likely, we don't need those walls around us all the time. Yeah. We at least need a gate in the wall. Exactly. So we can get in, <laughs> right, or out. So yes. that's kind of the that's kind of just an ex- experience that I've had with merging the neuroscience piece and the shamanistic piece. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because... She subconsciously built those walls to protect her, but they were actually making her life small and making her feel small and preventing her from being able to connect with people in a positive or a distressing way. Absolutely. And the thing about this woman in particular is she said she had such a big, intense, beautiful personality that didn't need she didn't she didn't need to be small i mean she's one of these people that are like this person is meant to be a big person in the world so it was just she was creating a lot of resentment because of those walls yeah yeah can you share a little bit about the alpha and the theta that you spoke about like the drum and kind of getting her into those states of consciousness yeah absolutely so our brain has different brain waves and Whenever we hear sound, our brain tends to pair with that brainwave. That's why whenever we listen to binaural beats or frequencies, it can be really powerful for our brain. So when you are about to go into a meditative state or when you're about to go into sleep, you go into the alpha brainwave form. When I lead meditations, 
I have my my voice is programmed to be into the alpha. Um, it's just for with practice. And whenever you go into alpha, it's that dreamy state. But that's the state that we really can do a lot of manifestation work. If if anybody manifests, that's a really good, powerful state to do it because you're in between the awake state and the dream state. So when we go into a trance, we want to start off with getting them into alpha. Before alpha is beta. And beta is concentrating. So right now, if we were to put neural caps on all three of us, because we're highly focused and we're talking and we're engaging in a conversation, we're probably in beta right now. So beta is when we're focused and we're concentrating. High beta is whenever we have an actual task. Like if I had a puzzle to solve and somebody was timing me, I would go into high beta because all of my resources would be going into solving whatever that puzzle was, right? Um, We go into high beta even more when there's a prize with that puzzle. So like, Laura, I'm going to give you $2,000 if you solve this rubrics cube, right? So I'm like, (laughs) my brain is going into high beta right away. And I'm ignoring everything else. I'm ignoring my digestive system, all the other processes of my body, right? So there's high beta, beta, alpha. And then alpha, after alpha is theta. And theta is whenever we're in REM sleep and we're dreaming. But fascinating enough, it's also whenever an artist is creating their art form. So they're in theta or a singer is singing or somebody is creating, they're also in this highly creative state of mind with being awake at the same time. Is that similar to the flow state that you'll hear people speak about where they lose their concept of time and they're just kind of totally present doing their thing? Yes. Yes. And if you have ever met anybody who devotes a lot of their life to meditation and they're meditating a lot, they're usually walking around in the theta. Um, and these people that you meet, they feel very special. Um, they feel like they're very spiritual and they don't even have to say anything at all. And it's probably because they're in theta most of the time, which is possible. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I want to walk around in a dream state. I want to, yes, me too. Flowing through life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just like complete peace with yeah. theta. Um, so that's where we want to be when we do shamanic journeys. And then there's gamma. And gamma is like high ecstasy. It's like if we're dancing and we're like, and you know, I would imagine ecstatic dances whenever people would be in gamma because you're just, you're losing track of time and space and you're just in a very high excitement, but not a stressful state, like, like more a pleasurable of a happy state. state, like a pleasurable state. Yeah, exactly. And do these states correspond with different parts of the brain being activated, like the prefrontal cortex or the amygdala, or how does that work? Yeah. So, um, you know, the frontal cortex, whenever it's fully engaged, that would be like high beta or beta, right? Okay. Um, and alpha would be more of, alpha is really that dreamy state. So actually the brain is starting to kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we dream, um, I mean, sorry, whenever we sleep and we're not dreaming, we go into alpha and that is also a restful sleep. We want to have a restful sleep. We want to have times in our nights where we're not dreaming so our brain can really restore. And new research has actually shown that um, our spinal fluid ha- comes up and it actually washes our brain during that state. 
Wow. It's amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, brainwash. A good one. Yes. A a good brainwash. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's that's actually what I, how I kind of, um, if I were to explain like recovery to someone, I would explain it as like a, and it, it may not be in alignment for some people, but for me, it's like a healthy brainwash, you know? Yes. Like a cleansing of these old Mm -hmm. ideas and ways and like opening up to new possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. Yeah. But uh, that's, you know, you laying down new neural pathways in your brain and feeling like there's so much more reward. It's more rewarding than the old pathways were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any other questions for Laura Jane? Yes. I am curious. So we live in Texas and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people here who are practitioners of religion, especially Christianity, but other religions too, obviously. And sometimes it can feel threatening to hear the word shamanic or witch doctor or, you know, things like that. Can you kind of walk me through how you would respond to a a client who's like, has some deeply held religious convictions and feels threatened by participating in that? Absolutely. Um, I actually do have quite a few clients like that um, from from Texas and from, you know, the Bible Belt here. Um, I want to say I I love Christianity there. I have nothing. I mean, shamanism can be in any spirituality in any religion. So um, I think one of the first things I would say is um, actually, if anything, the practice wants you to involve you involve your God more, whatever you know, if that's the Christian God or whether that's Buddhism or whatever your practice is, it's Mm -hmm. about going to a higher power. I mean, that's a big part of it. So what I usually tell clients, and I always say that they never have to do the shamanic work if they, if they don't want to very rare forms, I'm just stay in my therapist box and just stay there. Right. And I can totally do that effectively. And there's no issue. Um, until they get to know me, right, and gain some trust, and they know, like, oh, okay, <laughs> she's not a crazy voodoo lady or anything like yes, that. Yes, you're so... not going to be like praying to <laughs> Satan or something. No, gosh, no, no, no. Um, my work is always done in the light and love, and um, I believe in God, and um, I use that in my work. But I do think that I one of my missions is to demystify what shamanism is because. It does have such a weird rap, you know, like um, especially meeting people and me telling them what I actually do, they start to get a little weary. Like, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, I'm just taking people into altered states of reality and we're going in and we're uh, we're healing their deep subconscious wounds. It's basically what it is, but it's also enjoying nature and being one with your highest self and your higher power. So it actually aligns quite lovely with Christianity. Yeah, um, that's what it sounds like. If people can just kind of be open, you know, curious and playful and um, willing to incorporate new information and new ways of connecting with their higher power, I think that's that's key. Absolutely. It's like, um, it's this. there's two concepts coming to mind right now, and one of them is, how limited how limited are you making your god where you think that your god is limited to this one way of thinking mm. instead of maybe god can reach people in 
so many different ways. So many ways. Right. Yes, Nature, absolutely. the sky, rain, you know, all those things. Um, and then the other thing that's coming to mind too is I always tell people that they need to use your own discernment and your own intuition. And if something does not align with you, absolutely do not do it. Yeah. Um, whenever we are, I always think there's like a, there's God is inside of us and God is outside of us. Yes. So if God's inside of us, that internal God can tell us whether something feels right for us or not, you know? Right. Yes. Yeah. And getting in Absolutely. touch with like, like being in that place where you can connect with and perceive communication from that, that God that is within you. Exactly. And once you listen to that and you have that discernment, then you can decide whether that route is good for you, whatever the practice may be. Yeah. yeah I think the, I don't want to say the problem, but the issue I would say in the beginning, I, I'm going to speak from my personal experience. It, it is that even coming into like a yogi way of being, um, I was, I was, ter and I grew up in a church <laughs> and a Baptist church. And I was terrified that I was like doing something that, but I think this all comes back to this feeling of just that at my core, I wasn't good is that's what I believed. And so I was just questioning all of the things. And so, you know, on this journey, it, I, I am capable of asking myself, does this feel okay for me? And then if there is, you know, someone practicing shamanism that maybe that person in particular might not line up for me, but maybe you do, you know, and just really trusting that intuition. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. Because there's some people that are doing this work that maybe don't align with you and maybe don't have your best interest. I know I've gotten a lot of clients too, where they've worked with practitioners in the shamanic field that have not been ethical. And so you do have to trust your highest judgment and your internal self to tell you whether you feel like this person is safe or not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can All you right. tell us, um, I have one last question. Can you tell us about the spirit animal thing? I love animals and yeah. I think that there's something so sweet about connecting with animals and something so healing about that. So I'm curious how that plays into shamanism. Yeah. So there's a belief that animals are actually um, angels, right? Or spirit guides here on earth. And whenever we connect to a spirit animal, there's the belief that there is the spirit of an animal with you. Um, and it guides you. And at different parts of your life, these animals can help you in different ways. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when I first did my shamanic training, the animal that came to me was a peacock. And the peacock, the whole symbolism of it is to be bold with who you are. Well, at the time, I was not bold with who I was. I kind of was a little bit more of a chameleon where I was able to kind of make myself be accepted with whoever I was. And I was very good at that because I'm very good at the human psyche. But what I realized is the authenticity of myself was being lost in that. And so the peacock really taught me to show my colors and be bold. 
And a part of that is doing this work out loud, right? And this is my true authentic self. It feels like it aligns with my highest self in so many ways. It almost feels like I'm meant to do this work here on earth. And so every animal has a different characteristic and a different lesson. So, you know, the jaguar, for instance, would be being able to go into the unknown and go into not knowing into a different, maybe you have to step out of your comfort zone and go into the unknown, right? And the wolf would be the teacher or the pathfinder. And the wolf teaches us to share our medicine. And if you have a wolf as your spirit animal, it probably means you're a teacher or you're supposed to share your medicine in a way with others and telling them how to use that medicine. So uh, in a nutshell, what I do with clients, if I feel like it aligns with their treatment and everything, is helping them find this spirit animal so they can learn to use it for them to heal or to go into the next phase of their journey. Wow. Incredible. I want to I find my spirit animal. <laughs> can we yeah, talk? well, we can go on a journey. <laughs> can we schedule an appointment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Thank Laura. You. Where can people find you on uh, social media? You can find me on Instagram at DFW Spirituality. You can also find me on Facebook at DFW Spirituality. And uh, you can listen to my podcast. Um, right now, it's just on Apple, but I'm working on getting an RSS feed to have it on multiple platforms. But right now, um, it is the Shamanic Therapist on Apple Podcast. And then my website is the awesome. amazing. Well, it has just been uh, such a treat getting to talk with you and get to know you today. So thank you yes. so much. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all having me on the show and for the amazing questions. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is my favorite podcast for sure. <laughs> so far. Thank you so much for listening. We truly value each one of you in support of the podcast. Please follow or subscribe to the mindful sobriety podcast. We'd love to connect with you via Instagram at Jane W. Ballard and or DFW Yoga Girl. Sending you love and light.